Welcome to the Ship Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of news impacting the precious metals markets. It's Friday, June 23rd. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. Do y'all remember the 80s band Talk Talk? They had a pretty popular song by the same name, and the chorus went like this. All you do to me is talk, talk. Talk, 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 talk. All you do to me is talk, talk. I think of this song every time I see Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell. And man, he sure was flapping his yap this week up on Capitol Hill. In fact, his comments drove the gold market below that 1950 and ounce support level that I was talking about last week. As I was doing show prep this morning, gold was trading around 1917 an ounce. So we're actually starting to drop down to 1900, which I think is the next kind of big support level there. Um, and of course, this is all based on the fact that Powell is sounding that hawkish message. He's talking about two more rate hikes this year. Inflation is still hot. We're still in the inflation fight. And every time he says this, the markets react, gold sells off, stocks get wobbly, everybody freaks out. And and that's exactly what we saw this week. And there were some other moves that kind of underscored Powell's comments. Um, The Bank of England raised rates 50 basis points, and that was more than expected. The Swiss and Norwegian central banks, and I think also the Turkish central bank, hiked rates this week. You know, it's kind of a follow the leader. If everybody thinks the Fed is going to tighten, then they're going to follow suit because they don't, you know, they want to keep that currency balance going globally. And so that's where we are. That, That was pretty much what we had this week. You know, and meanwhile, real stuff that actually matters, well, nobody pays any attention to that at all. But boy, when Powell starts singing, Market stance. You know, this reminds me of another blast from the past. Remember E.F. Hutton? Uh, It was a stock brokerage firm back in the 70s, 80s, and uh, they ran these commercials. I remember them from when I was a kid, and the tagline was, when E.F. Hutton talks, people listen. I actually found one of those old commercials. I'll link to it in the show notes if you want to experience this blast from the past for yourself. So anyway, Powell talked. That's the news of the week. So that's a gold wrap for this week. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, We'll talk about Powell and what he said here in a minute. But first, I want to touch on something that people actually should be talking about, something that should be driving markets, and that pretty much everybody just ignores. Last Thursday, with very little fanfare, the national debt quietly blew past $32 trillion. Now, there's a little lag in the reporting of that data, so it didn't show up on the Treasury website until a couple of days later. But, you know, as soon as I saw it, I thought of something the anti-federalist Brutus wrote. He said, I can scarcely contemplate a greater calamity that could befall this country than to be loaded with a debt exceeding their ability ever to discharge. Well, here we are, calamity time. 
as of Wednesday, and that's the last date that the uh, data has been updated, the national debt stood at just under $32.1 trillion. Now get this, since the debt ceiling deal was finalized, the U.S. Treasury has added over $600 billion to the national debt. And we knew this was going to happen. I warned weeks ago that the real problem would start once the fake debt ceiling fight ended. And that's what we're seeing right now. The Treasury is borrowing, borrowing, borrowing uh, in an effort to kind of catch up for uh, from some six months of being up against the borrowing limit, not being able to borrow any money. So they're replenishing their bank account. And uh, this was expected. Now, it'll be interesting to see uh, as as the weeks kind of play out how this impacts the uh, other markets, because, you know, somebody has to buy all of these bonds uh, and that's going to pull liquidity out of the market, pull money away from other things. There's an article I saw uh, just briefly skimmed by an economist uh, that was talking about the impact of all of this borrowing, how it skews everything in the financial sector. So. That's going on. Um, But yeah, $32 trillion. You know, think about this. Even with the government unable to engage in any borrowing since January, that's when we hit that debt ceiling. So no borrowing since January. It took just nine months to add another trillion dollars to the national debt. So in October of last year, we were talking about, ooh, the national debt's now $31 trillion. Today, it's $32 trillion. And, you know, that's a hard number to fathom. I say $32 trillion, and yeah, it sounds like a lot. I'm sure a lot of people are thinking, what, what's that even mean? Well, let's put it into some perspective. Every U.S. citizen would have to write a check for $95,648 in order to pay off the debt. And every American taxpayer is on the hook for $249 for Two hundred and forty-nine. I can't even say it. Two hundred, two hundred and forty-nine thousand four hundred and three dollars. That's how much you would have to write if you're a taxpayer, which you know, like only half of the people in the country pay taxes. Or let's look at it another way. Thirty-two trillion dollars is more than the total economies of China, Japan, Germany, and the United Kingdom combined. There ain't no way that $32 trillion is ever going to get paid back. So this is a giant Ponzi scheme. As long as the U.S. can keep borrowing money, they can keep pushing this along. But this is an unsustainable trajectory. And, you know, people have been talking about this since, I don't know, the Reagan years. I mean, all my life. I remember it was a huge thing in the 90s. Everybody's like, oh, we've got to get the debt under control. That was nothing then. Um, And yet they just keep kicking the can down the road. It's like we all know in the back of our heads that this is a problem, but nobody really wants to deal with it. So as I've talked about in recent show, you know, this problem isn't solved. Um, there's a lot of people that think, well, I mean, they did the debt ceiling deal and there were spending cuts, so everything's fine. Um, the misnamed Fiscal Responsibility Act did not cut actual spending. Spending is going to go up in the next two years. So the level of debt increase will continue right at the same pace, adding a trillion dollars every single year. And, of course, that's assuming Congress and the president actually stick to the spending plan, which isn't likely. I mean, we all know that the next emergency will necessitate additional emergency spending. In fact, Secretary of State 
Anthony Blinken, just announced he plans to set out a new robust assist package for Ukraine. The reality is, there's always something that the government needs to spend money on. There's always some new thing that the government's got to do. And this is an emergency. This is an exception. I mean, we're worried about getting spending under control. We've got to handle this first. That's always the scenario. There's always reasons to spend money. And now the federal government has a credit card with no limit for two years. So the more likely scenario is that the pace of debt increase will actually accelerate moving forward. So we can expect another trillion dollars uh, piled on every you know six or nine months or however long it takes. Not very long. And of course, the sheer size of the debt isn't really the only problem. The interest payments on the debt are growing exponentially. You see, they could kind of paper over the debt problem when interest rates were zero, right? You can finance debt very at a very low interest rate, uh, and, and you kind of just keep turning it over at that very low interest rate. Not too much of a problem. But the trailing 12-month interest on the debt clocked in at just under $600 billion in May. That was up from $350 billion at the start of 2022, so less than 18 months ago. The government has added an extra $250 billion in interest expenses per year. That's just on debt service, right? And this is just the beginning of the upward trend. Based on current interest payment, the Treasury is paying less than 2% interest. So if you look at the total debt and you look at that interest payment, kind of figures out to less than 2%. But that's because a lot of the debt currently on the books was financed at the very low rates before the Federal Reserve started this hiking cycle. So every month, some of that super low-yielding paper matures, and it has to be replaced by bonds yielding much higher rates. Because, you know, when the bonds mature, they don't just go away. They have to borrow money to pay off the bonds. So, you know, they're borrowing to pay for the borrowing. And so... As we move forward, you're going to see the average interest rate on the total debt continue to climb higher. So let me run you some numbers just to give you a sense of what we're talking about here. Let's say the national debt climbs to $40 trillion. So that's about $8 trillion above where we are now given the current pace of the increase, maybe five years. And let's say interest rates remain at 5%, which Jerome Powell says will be necessary to tackle inflation. Remember at the last Fed meeting, Powell said, you know, we're going to keep interest rates up here at these levels for you know a couple of years at least. In that scenario, interest payments on the national debt would skyrocket to around, get this, 2 trillion dollars per year. That means the U.S. government would be forking out two trillion dollars a year before it ever spent on the first program. So that means that even if the U.S. government were able to balance the budget so that tax receipts covered all of the spending, not including interest payments, we'd still face a two trillion dollar annual deficit. Now, of course, there won't be a balanced budget ever. So let's assume the federal government can maintain the current deficit level, which is around a trillion, give or take, annually. 
minus out the interest expenses, evenly, even with this overly optimistic scenario, the Treasury would be running a $3 trillion annual deficit. So that's the current $1 trillion deficit plus $2 trillion in interest expenses. Think about this for a minute. This is a fiscal powder keg, and all it needs is a match. And the looming global economic downturn might just be the match that lights that fuse. Because when we get the recession that is coming, federal revenue is going to tank, right? When the economy slows down, people are making less money. That means the government's collecting less, less taxes. We're already seeing a decrease in uh, federal revenues just by the natural flow of things. It's going to accelerate when the recession hits. That reminds me of another bit of data that came out on Thursday that was basically ignored. U.S. leading economic indicators declined by 0.7% in May. It was the 14th consecutive monthly negative reading. And that extends the longest losing streak since the 2008 global financial crisis. So if you look at the leading economic indicators, they're telling us we're already in this recession. The LEI is down 4.3% over the six-month period between November 2022 and May 2023. But don't worry, this recession is going to be short and shallow, just like inflation was transitory. Anyway, you know, the national debt has been growing for so long that most people just shrug when I talk about it. Nobody seems particularly concerned outside of a handful of contrarians. I mean, sure, most everybody recognizes that yeah, this might be a problem down the road. You know, I talk about these numbers, everybody nods, oh yeah, that's horrible. But you know, it's like nothing's happened yet, so nothing's probably going to happen. Well, that's true. Nothing's going to happen until it does. But it will because things that are unsustainable can't be sustained. And you know, it's you have to think too. It's it's not just the fact that the US can't pay the debt. It's the issue is is at some point the world is going to look at this and go, "You know what? This isn't a great investment. You know, maybe we should quit buying this US debt." And we're and we're starting to see that. You know, China is dumping some of its debt. Japan has been dumping some of its debt. Now, you know, in some sense, right now, dollars of reserve currency, there is still a lot of demand for treasuries out there. People are going to buy them. But we're seeing this drift away from dollar dominance, right? We're seeing more and more de-dollarization. We're seeing more and more concern uh, out there in the world about the status of the dollar. And they don't want to be exposed to something that is potentially going to crash, um, I did an article this week, I think it was, uh, about the Kenyan president recently talking about, you know, why should African countries use dollars to do trade? Why not do trade in their own local currencies? So we're seeing this trend. I'll link to that in the show notes page, by the way. Um, so this is a problem. Most people, I think, though, you know, they think, well, yeah, it's a problem down the road, but the road is long, so we can get away with continuing to kick the can. But mark my words, I love this expression, eventually they're going to run out of road. You know, you can't kick the can down the road anymore when you hit the dead end. All right, so let's get to what really matters. What did Jerome Powell say up on Capitol Hill this week? Well, first, we need to set the stage. 
Remember last week, the Fed left interest rates unchanged. But Powell did his best to make it clear that the central bank isn't finished hiking. So this week, Powell went to Capitol Hill as required, and during his testimony, he doubled down on this hawkishness, saying, quote, inflation pressures continue to run high, and the process of getting inflation back down to 2% has a long way to go. And he also insisted that the skipped rate hike in June was not a pause. He said, we never used the word pause, and I wouldn't use it here today. I, I don't know what else you would call it, but that's what he said. And then the Fed chair offered a a cute little analogy. He said, now we're moderating that pace, the pace of rate hikes, much as you might do if you were driving 70 miles an hour on the highway, then 50 miles an hour on a local highway, and then as you get closer to your destination, you try to find that destination, you slow down even further. So that's kind of what he's saying they're doing here. You know, they're 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 slowing down a little bit, but they're not done hiking. That really is what Powell wants to communicate to all of us. They're not done hiking. But, you know, when you think about it, Powell didn't say anything this week that he didn't say last week. And yet the markets reacted as this was some kind of big shocker. Like, oh, this is big news. I said this last week, but it bears repeating. There is clearly a disconnect between what the Fed is doing and what Powell is saying, right? After all, the Fed was really that hawkish, you know, they're really, really still concerned about hot inflation. We're not done. You know, there's, we, we, we've got to keep hiking rates. Why did they skip a rate hike? It doesn't really make sense, right? It's like the song, all you do to me is talk, talk. Mises Institute executive editor Ryan McMakin, I think, summed it up pretty good. He said, Powell really wants to have it both ways. The central bankers in general want to have it both ways. He said, quote, Powell wants to announce he and the FOMC are firmly committed to combating price inflation by allowing interest rates to rise. And by the way, allowing more securities to roll off the Fed's $8.3 trillion balance sheet. At the same time, Powell also wants to claim that now is a good time to pause on rate hikes, even though it's not a pause, it's a skip. Even though the Fed's favored PCE measure of price inflation is more than double the Fed's target rate of 2%. So you see that disconnect, right? McMakin went on to say the reason for this muddled messaging, quote, is not completely mysterious. McMakin said the answer lies in examining the political situation. Fantasies about Fed independence might blind some observers to the reality, but the Fed is profoundly political and must juggle a variety of political pressures. As it is, the Fed must seem like it is doing something about price inflation while simultaneously avoiding any moves that will cause the economy to slow to the point where it becomes politically problematic for the administration. The incoherence we now see from Powell is a direct result of the Fed's desire to send several conflicting messages at once. What a shock. This is politics. And, you know, no matter what they say about, oh, the economy is strong, surely to goodness, when they're behind closed doors, they see what's happening, right? They have to know that an economy that has run for more than a decade on basically 0% interest rates is going to struggle when you jack rates up to 5%. They know this. They know a recession is coming. 
And I think they probably suspect it's going to be worse than they're saying. They're just hoping it won't be. I think there's a lot of hope. I think a lot of Fed policy is based on hopes and prayers. But that's where we are, right? We're, we're in this weird world, and we've been in this weird world for about a year where the Fed is, is, is kind of trying to walk this tightrope. It's got this super hot price inflation that's politically unpopular that they've got to be perceived as dealing with. And then they've got the realities that they've created an economy that is addicted to the easy money that they're taking away. So they're trying to walk that tightrope and walking tightrope's hard. It's a balanced thing, you know. Uh, and, and so that's what they're trying to do. And you know, so far, the markets have pretty much bought both sides of the story. I mean, you know, the the thinking out there is that, yeah, the Fed's going to get price inflation under control. But yeah, there's going to be a recession, but it's not going to be too bad. And, you know, that, that's this this that's why we see this kind of yo-yoing going on with stocks going way up and, and gold kind of selling off because they believe that the Fed actually has this under control. I don't believe that at all, and I think this is all going to unwind at some point down the road. And you know, I've harped on this on the show over and over again, but it takes a while for this stuff to play out. I go back to 2008 all the time and reference the fact that they stopped raising rates long before we saw the 2008 financial crisis. In fact, they were already cutting when. The financial crisis really blew up. We're already seeing the finance. We're in the financial crisis now. They managed to paper over it with some bailouts, but it's only a matter of time before the next thing breaks. So, you know, I say that every week. I don't want to go go through all of that again. Um, I want to touch on a few things that Powell said, though, kind of beyond the hot talk. Um, he made a couple of comments that you kind of need to read between the lines to fully appreciate. And I saw these and I kind of chuckled to myself. The first one was the Fed chair said, we want to get back to price stability. We want to get back to that place where inflation is low enough that people don't think about it. So in other words, the central bank wants to keep devaluing the dollar but not so fast that you feel that pain on the daily basis, right? The Fed prefers the boil the frog slowly approach, so you don't notice that it's taking away your purchasing power year after year, right? In other words, let's keep the inflation tax low enough so as not to upset the masses, right? Consider this, at 2% inflation, which is the target, you lose 10% of your purchasing power every five years. So, you know, you're getting inflation all the time. It's just so high right now, you're really feeling it, and that's politically unpopular. So, it goes back to the politics. So, this is what they're doing to your money. The only real problem with price inflation over 2%, as far as they're concerned, is that you notice it. If the powers that be could get away with it, they would. And that's why you kind of see this, this talk percolating under the, under the surface. You know, maybe we could get away with a target of 3%, maybe 4%. People would be, be okay with that. Um, we shouldn't be okay with any manipulated price inflation at all. But that's what central banks do. So here's another one for you. Powell, uh, Powell also said, inflation has consistently surprised us and essentially all other forecasters, by being more persistent than expected. And I think we've come to expect that. Expect it to be more persistent. 
So, reading between the lines, I mean, I guess Powell's basically saying we're not very good at our jobs, right? I mean, remember when Powell and company were insisting that inflation is transitory? It wasn't until around December 2021 that government officials finally conceded that inflation wasn't transitory. I was saying this at least six months earlier. I mean, I went back and found a an article where I was talking about it six months before that. And you can go back and listen to podcast episodes from back then. I was saying week after week that inflation wasn't transitory. Now, you will note, I am not a Fed official. How was it that I wasn't surprised, but the experts who are running the economy were consistently surprised? I'll tell you why. One, politics. They probably weren't really that surprised. This is talk, 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 talk. And then there is also the fact that they live in a Keynesian fantasy land. Um, And they base their policy on hopes and prayers, as I already said. So, yeah, that's where we are. We have a world of experts that are surprised by things going on in their area of expertise that normal people can see. Great. Before I close out, I want to touch on a couple of things that Powell got flat out wrong during his little uh, talk on Capitol Hill. First, he claimed, quote, a very strong labor market is driving the economy. Wrong. In the first place, a lot of the job data simply doesn't add up. The numbers aren't believable. I'll link to an article in the show notes page that covers some of that. And I've talked about it before on the show. I mean, you know, you see all of these layoffs out there, and and I know people who are looking for jobs who are struggling to find them. Any anecdotal evidence tells you that the labor market ain't great, yet we keep getting these rosy numbers. So you, you have to, at some point, start to think, maybe the numbers are cooked. But insofar, real strength exists in the labor market. It's the result of a weak economy. It's not driving a strong economy. It is a symptom of a weak economy. So how are big job numbers a symptom of a weak economy? Well, high price inflation and falling real wages are driving people to take on extra work in order to make ends meet. Price inflation is eating everybody's lunch. Based on calculations by public finance economist E.J. Antoni, the inflation tax has cost the average family around $7,200 since January 2021. So, as a result, more and more people are taking on part-time work. And in the world of labor data, part-time jobs count as whole jobs. So, if I go out and get two part-time jobs... Uh, The BLS, Bureau of Labor Statistics, will report those two jobs as jobs created. So, yes, Mike driving or Mike delivering pizzas and, uh, you know, washing cars is the sign of economic prosperity. Not. Meanwhile, a lot of people are even opting for second full-time jobs. And this is uh, this is evident in the data. Meanwhile, retirees are being forced to return to the workforce because, you know, inflation is ravaging their savings and their fixed incomes. So this is not a sign of a robust economy. It is a sign of economic desperation. So basically, Powell's full of garbage on that one. And then Powell also called the pandemic the common factor driving prices higher. Wrong. The pandemic, or more accurately, the government response to the pandemic, 
was certainly part of the equation. But the real common factors were central bank policies of artificially low interest rates and quantitative easing, along with government deficit spending and stimulus. You see, this goes back to what I've talked about before. The powers that be want to blame price inflation on everything but the real source of price inflation. They don't want you to realize that it's their fault, right? So they're going to blame it on the pandemic or supply chain issues or Putin's price hikes or voodoo. Who knows? Anything but the actual real thing that's causing it. And of course, this central bank... Quantitative easing, artificially low interest rates, deficit spending, stimulus. This started long before the pandemic, right? You can't just blame it on the pandemic. I mean, even peripherally. Central banks around the world pumped trillions of dollars of new money into the global economy in the wake of the 2008 financial crisis. The Federal Reserve held rates at zero for years, almost a decade, and some central banks, including the European Central Bank and the Bank of Japan, introduced negative interest rate policies. Now, of course, central banks doubled down on these easy money policies during the pandemic, pumping trillions of additional dollars into the economy. This is the root cause of price inflation, not COVID-19. So by pinning price inflation on the pandemic in the abstract, Powell shifts blame away from the real culprit, the man looking back at him in the mirror every morning, and his buddy central bankers. That drives me crazy. But again, a lot of people believe it. A lot of people don't understand that the price inflation at its root is being driven by the monetary policy that all of these central banks are doing. So there you go. Powell said stuff, gold sold off. That's basically the story of the week. You know, here's the thing. At some point, People are going to figure out what's actually going on. They're going to figure it out because it's no longer going to be plausible to say the economy is strong, everything's fine. Uh, It's going to be obvious when we see the real pivot, when the Fed actually cuts interest rates. And when they do for the first time, they'll probably try to do what they did back in uh, 2019 and say, oh, this is just a little adjustment. We'll know. And when that happens people are going to figure it out, and the markets are going to shift. What Powell says, all of the talk, 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 matters not a whit. What matters is what happens. What matters is what's actually going to happen. And as we've seen in the past, what central bankers say does not necessarily reflect the reality of what's going to happen. Remember, subprime is contained. Inflation is transitory. Quantitative easing is an emergency thing. We're not going to keep all of these bonds on our balance sheet. They say stuff all the time. Most of it never comes to pass. Again, what matters is what happens. The national debt matters. The economic bubbles matter. Inflation matters. Interest rates at 5% matter. Powell flapping his jaws before a Senate committee or a House committee, that doesn't matter. If you are investing based on what is happening and what is going to happen, these dips are a great time to buy gold and silver. So today is a good time to talk to a Shift Gold Precious Metals specialist. 
You can do that. You can call 1-888-GOLD-160. You can email info at shiftgold.com. You can go to the shiftgold.com website. Go to the Getting Started tab. You can talk in a chat right there online with the Precious Metal Specialist. Do it today. I say it every week. These guys are fantastic, and they will listen to you. They'll listen to your investment goals and try to help you figure out how precious metals might fit into your investment strategy. So do that today. And with that, that is a gold wrap for this week. Of course, you can get more details on all of the things I've talked about and more. Keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week over at shipgold.com news. You can subscribe to the Friday Gold Wrap podcast if you haven't already over at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, the Ship Gold YouTube channel, Stitcher. Links to all of this stuff is on the show notes page along with links to our social media channels that you should be following. You can email me, mmahary, M-M-A-H-A-R-R-E-Y at shipgold.com. Love to hear from folks. Hope everybody has a fantastic weekend. I'm out. 